Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today's episode is more of a Kentucky history and haunts road trip. Uh, That's what I like to call the episodes that don't really take place in Kentucky, although this episode does have ties to Louisville, which I'll talk about. But this is one of those stories where once I hear about it, um, if I feel like it's important enough, I have to share it. So it's not necessarily historic or a ghost story, but um, I'm going to tell you about it anyway. And I, I bet some of you, if not most of you, actually have not heard about this case. So we're going back to January 16th, 2009. That Friday evening, a woman named Linda Bonner arrived at her home about 11 miles outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee to find her husband, Franklin, duct taped to a chair with more tape covering his mouth and nose. Franklin wasn't breathing. He was dead. Linda went over and alerted a neighbor, then immediately called 911. This appeared to be a robbery. The house had been ransacked. Crime scene photos showed the kitchen table overturned and cabinets open with their contents spilled out across the floor. However, there was no sign of forced entry. Franklin had a nickname, the Lottery Man because he was known to carry around a lot of cash at any given time, okay? He always had money on him. He and his wife, Linda, dealt small amounts of marijuana in their community, in their neighborhood. And so investigators thought maybe he owed someone money or people just knew there was money to be stolen in that household. It's determined later that while he also suffered blunt force trauma to his body, Suffocation was the cause of death. He was 68 years old. Franklin was a retired Chattanooga Public Works employee, and he had a son and a daughter. Now, Franklin is last seen by neighbors around 2 o'clock that day. Linda arrives home around 5 about three hours after he's last seen. So there's about a three hour period where we really don't know what happened inside that house. Now, I don't mean to be too graphic here, but I do think it's important that you all digest this crime scene. Okay, this is a big man. From from all the photographs that I've looked at, he was a pretty big guy, okay? And he's an adult, he's 68 years old, and he's been tightly taped to this chair. I mean, there's duct tape wrapped all around his body and face. But even beyond that, he's been beaten, okay? Trauma injuries in multiple places on his body. You'll understand why I'm adamant about this in a minute, so just bear with me. Investigators are able to lift fingerprints off of this duct tape that he's been wrapped up with and that they find at the scene. Detective Carl Fields runs them through the database in 2009 and they don't get any matches. They've got nothing. It's worth noting here that Detective Fields will go on to be booked on charges of sexual harassment of a rape victim, as well as coaching witnesses and tampering with evidence. This is in 2016. There's not enough evidence to indict him and the charges are dropped, but he is fired from the police department. But the Bonner case goes cold 
all the way until 2018, when investigators re-examined some conversations that were had with a federal inmate named Nicholas Cheaton. This, this man, Mr. Cheaton, he says, hey guys, my cousin, Mallory Vaughn, he did that murder. He killed Franklin Bonner. Cheaton says that Vaughn confided in him about the murder, saying that he, quote, duct taped someone up like a mummy and it went wrong. So this guy, Mallory Vaughn, becomes a suspect. Later down the road in this story, Cheaton reveals that he actually learned about the details of this case from Detective Carl Fields. And then his story starts to change in some big ways. He's inconsistent about how the crime went down and how he learned about it. He also doesn't mention anything about an accomplice in his interviews until a year after their first conversation. You'll see why that's important here in a minute, too. Eventually, this, uh, this other inmate, Cheaton, his testimony will get dismissed completely. Um, turns out he was just trying to get his sentence reduced, which is a pretty common thing. So as they were zoning in on this Mallory Vaughn guy, investigators rerun the fingerprints found at the crime scene, and they find a match, but not to Mallory Vaughn. They find a match to someone else. These fingerprints they've retested from the sticky side of the duct tape they match someone named Angel Bumpus. Who is Angel Bumpus? She was born in Tennessee on March 3rd, 1995, and her childhood was not a happy one. Her mother, Tamika, was arrested for shooting a police officer when Angel was six years old, and her father was not in her life. Several of Angel's family members spent time in jail, including her grandmother, but Angel was mostly raised by her grandparents, and then when she turned 16, she left. She started her own life. She described her grandparents as being cold and unloving. Now, at the time of the crime, at the time of Franklin Bonner's murder, Angel was 13 years old. Despite her difficult home life, she was a really good student. She was also petite. She was 5 feet tall and 80 pounds. I mean, she was just... She was just a little girl. So fast forward to 2018. Angel gets arrested for failing to appear in court for a speeding ticket. She's living in Louisville, Kentucky. She's in her early 20s. She's attending her second year at Jefferson Community and Technical College, JCTC. She's been accepted into a nursing program with plans to start in August of 2018. She's the mother of two young girls and she's working a full-time job. She's just out here living life. I mean, she, it sounds like she's prospering. And then one morning in June of 2018, two detectives show up on her doorstep with an arrest warrant for aggravated robbery and first-degree murder. You see, when she was arrested for failing to show up for that traffic ticket, they took her fingerprints and her prints matched the two partials that investigators had retested in the Bonner case. So at 23 years old, 
Angel Bumpus is now going to trial for a murder she seems to know nothing about. And she's going into this trial with a co-defendant, a guy named Mallory Vaughn, who seems to be a person she's never met. It's really wild. Going back to Vaughn for a minute, I just want to point out that he's 13 years older than Angel. So at the time of the murder, Angel was 13, but Vaughn was 26. Now, during the trial, they're both adamant they don't know one another. But we should talk a bit more about the tape that they tested for Prince, because what I haven't mentioned yet is that there are nine sets of fingerprints on that tape. Nine different sets, plus hair samples. There are hair samples on that tape that do not match Angel Bumpus. So by this point, you all are probably asking, okay, so why are this girl's prints on that duct tape used at the crime scene? Why are they there? And that's a fair question. Angel's grandfather testifies during the trial. He says that he was a handyman in 2009, and he did some work at the Bonner residence. Remember, Angel lived with her grandparents. And her grandfather testifies that Angel liked playing with the tools in his garage, all his equipment and supplies. And Angel liked to do arts and crafts. And so sometimes she would use his stuff for her arts and crafts projects. You know, stuff like duct tape. So since a decade had passed between the murder and the trial, the grandfather couldn't recall the exact scenario, but he said there were basically two possibilities. He says, okay, either I took a roll of tape over to the Bonner house while I was working on some project for them, and Angel could have been playing with that roll of duct tape before I went over there. Or it's possible, he says, that Franklin Bonner asked to borrow a roll of tape from me, and that's why it was over there. Either way, there are entirely valid possibilities as to why the tape was at Franklin Bonner's house and why Angel's prints were on the, on the tape. The grandfather also testifies that he does not recall Angel ever going to the Bonner residence. Now, switching gears a little bit, um, we should talk about Angel's lawyers for a second. Uh, everything I read pretty much agreed that they were not the best lawyers. Um, the word incompetent is used. They missed a lot of stuff. They weren't aggressive enough. Bumpus did express frustration with her legal representation during the trial. She told A&E producers who were doing an episode on her case, that her lawyers were, quote, too nice. And they didn't object enough. They let the prosecutors say whatever they wanted. For example, they were calling her co-defendant, Mallory Vaughn, her buddy, even though they had no proof that the two individuals knew each other at all. No phone calls, texts, emails, pictures, nothing. But the defense team does nothing about that. They just let it slide. So it's just things like that. One of her lawyers also represented Anjali Moore, 
which is another case in Tennessee where people are screaming wrongful conviction. So check that one out too if you're curious. His name is Unjali, U-N-J-O-L-E-E, Moore. Now, before Cheaton's testimony was thrown out, remember the inmate that said my cousin murdered Franklin, Cheaton told the court that Mallory Vaughn would do some chores for Franklin Bonner to make some extra money on the side, so he would sometimes go over there and do things like cut the grass. I don't know if this fact was confirmed by anyone else, but it's worth noting. And there is evidence, from what I can tell, that... um, Franklin's family knew Mallory Vaughn because in a 2018 interview, Franklin Bonner's daughter comments on Vaughn's arrest and says, quote, we knew this individual was the prime suspect all along. We just couldn't say anything about it. There's another element of this story that I haven't mentioned yet that's kind of interesting. One of the last people we know of that saw Franklin Bonner alive was Shirley Bumpus. That would be Angel's grandmother, the one she lived with. Shirley had called Franklin the morning of the murder. They lived about two miles away, and Shirley went over to the Bonner residence at some point to buy pot from Franklin that day. Angel's grandparents bought weed from the Bonners regularly. They admitted this during initial interviews with police in 2009. But, at the trial, 10 years later, Shirley Bumpus gets on the stand and says, No, no, no. I didn't see the victim that day. I didn't see Franklin. I didn't talk to him. That wasn't me. Meanwhile, keep in mind that little 13-year-old Angel went to school that day. There's no record of her being absent, so she wouldn't have even gotten home until 3 o'clock leaving two hours to walk the two miles to the Bonner house, murder Franklin or help murder him, and then walk back home before Linda Bonner arrived home. There's something else, too. There's a phone call between Angel's two brothers. Um, I tried to find the actual recording. I couldn't get my hands on it. But the defense team tries to enter this phone call as evidence, but it's not allowed. In this phone call, you can hear Angel's brothers talking about the fact that their sister has been arrested for this 2009 murder. And the one brother is talking, and it's like he's kind of trying to get the other brother's attention. And he says something like, hey... A 2009 murder. Think about it. Think hard. Ultimately, to me, the grandmother and the brothers start to look pretty shady in this case. And Angel looks like a 13-year-old kid who maybe got brought into a bad situation. Because her partial prints were found on the sticky inside part of the roll of tape, A lot of people feel like she probably was there at the scene, but that certainly doesn't mean that a 13-year-old child committed murder. Um, I also read so many responses to articles and posts about this this, uh, case, and a lot of people feel like that grandmother 
is definitely hiding something. I'm not saying she is. Of course, I don't know that. But that seems to be the consensus. On October 3rd, 2019, after a four-day trial and four and a half hours of deliberation, Mallory Vaughn is found not guilty across the board. He's free to go. Angel Bumpus is found guilty of first-degree murder and aggravated robbery. She's sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole plus eight years for the robbery. She's eligible for parole in 2078. She'll be 83 years old. One of the common observations people seem to have about this trial is that Angel didn't appear to know how to act emotionally. Angel has a pretty serious face, you know, which I get because so do I. And so it's one of those things where people think I'm upset when I'm not, you know. And so when she was in court, she didn't smile. She didn't act super innocent. She didn't cry or act remorseful. And people speculate that this lack of emotion is a big part of why the jurors found her guilty. Now, the response to that, of course, is if she didn't do this, if she knows nothing about this, put yourself in her shoes. How are you supposed to act sitting in a courtroom on trial for this murder that happened 10 years ago when you were 13? So it's it's kind of an interesting thing to, to just think about. Um, if there is some smoking gun in this case uh, to prove her guilt, I didn't find it. So if I miss something, because I'm just kind of shocked, as a lot of people are, about the outcome of this case. So please, by all means, if you guys come across something, let me know. Now, Angel has been granted an appeal, but her new trial date has been postponed several times, thanks to COVID and bureaucracy. So most recently, her new trial was supposed to start on January 7th of this year. It got rescheduled again. So now I think it might be starting at the end of July. I saw a couple places say that, but it didn't seem like anything too official. The Hamilton County District Attorney's Office, uh, their website has a tab for this case, and it's stamped solved at the top. I don't know about y'all, but I beg to differ. In this case, I'm not saying she's 100% innocent. That's not what I gather. To me, it just looks like the prosecutors did not prove her guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. To me, there's a lot of reasonable doubt. I'm going to keep an eye on this case. In the meantime, I don't know how much there is for you to do, but you can search angelbumpuschange.org and the petition will come up where you can sign it to help demand her retrial. I think it's up to yesterday. It was up to 870,000 signatures, I think. So I'll keep you all posted. And I've submitted a Tennessee open records request to see if they'll tell me if there's a date on the books for her new trial. Thank you for listening to another episode. This is one of those 
that uh, I understand doesn't really fall within the parameters of what I set out to do with this podcast, but there's just this investigative bone in my body that I can't ignore, and when I hear a story like this, I want to tell it. So this is one of those things that's happening in real time, and we can actually do something about it, even if it's a small something. So if, if you were ever to share any of my episodes with your friends and family, this would be a good one to share. These are the kind of episodes that I, I encourage you to share and talk about with your friends. I bet a lot of the people you know have not heard about this case. Um, so again, if you want to sign the petition, um, if nothing else, maybe just put pressure on people to, to hurry this along and set a trial date and get the ball rolling. Just search um, Angel Bumpus, B-U-M-P-A-S-S, change.org, and it, it should be the first thing that comes up. All right. Thanks so much. And until next time.